0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's find 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm preaching on the subject this morning, standing on the promises. Standing on the promises. And as we uh, go through this, um, of course, Paul is about to wrap up his first letter uh, to the church at Corinth. And of course, he makes a lot of um, in chapter 15. He goes a lot into this idea that uh, Christ has given us this victory through His finished work, and then kind of what we're supposed to do now that we have received uh, by faith uh, what Christ has done for us. And then you know he goes on to talk about you know death being swallowed up, and that uh, the victory is in Christ and Him alone, and Uh, Before we ever go to heaven, we've got to be changed. And of course, you know, I uh, preached about that rapture, that moment, the twinkling of an eye when uh, God is going to rescue His church out of this world. And uh, so we will forever be with the Lord. Uh, But today is about the gospel and the importance of that in what we do. And uh, as we get further and further down the road, I'm convinced more and more of what I see in the world that um, a lot of folks that occupy, you know, seats, pews, a place in a church, I'm not sure that we're really here necessarily for the right reason. And uh, I hope that today it might challenge us as to our motivation and as to what we really truly believe. Because if if you're here because you think Jesus is a great teacher and you want to incorporate some of the things that He said we ought to do in your life, you know, that's fine. But you're missing the point. You're missing the point. The point is there is a heaven to gain and there is a real hell to shun. An eternity of destruction. An eternity of going through the process of dying and being tormented and, and never escaping that. Never being able to escape that. And we lose that. In, in the way today that we try to make the gospel so socially acceptable, we miss that. We, we, we have ministries that focus on bringing children to Christ at an, at an early age, and, and that's needed. But what takes place after that with discipling us and grounding us in this reality that we have a real adversary and an enemy. That the devil understands that time is drawing near and that he desires to destroy us. And if if he cannot keep us away from receiving Christ, he wants to keep us a spiritual babe in Christ so that we never do what Paul commissions us to do through the power of the Lord. That is to take this gospel to a lost world. We have to examine the reality of why we say we are who we are. Are we conscious of the reality that there is a place that is prepared for the devil and for his enemy, for his minions there, for the demons of hell? And yet it is by rejecting the cross and rejecting Christ's goodness of eternal life that we end up there. Every man is headed there. And it is Christ who steps in the way with arms stretched wide to say, you don't have to go any further. And when we reject that, we go across that, that we by our own will choose to go to a devil's hell. Why are we here? Why do we have a Bible? Why are we committed to To the things of God. Is it to just share some good teaching about Christ? Or is it to tell a world that we are perishing and we're going to spend eternity with the devil in hell or we can choose eternal life, the abundant life in Jesus Christ? If the latter is not the message, we're doing no one a favor except comfortably sending them into a Christless eternity. There is not a hell, number two. Heaven is the prize. And whether we're good in the eyes of men or not, we are not the standard. We are not the standard. So Paul, to a church that is mean to each other, to a church that has a lot of conflicts within the church, a lot of habits that have not been broken, Paul brings this gospel message to them. And look, I received it. I'm sharing it with you. And you're to share it with others, and better yet, we're to live it out faithfully. So 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 1, I want to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Verses 1 through 11. Again, if you're, if you're in Awana, you you've probably heard a lot of this. And I hope that you remember it. Because it is the good news. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you were saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, and that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep or some have died. Verse 7, after that he was seen by James and then all the apostles and then last of all he was seen by me, Paul as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether I, whether I, it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Father, I pray this morning, God, put your words in my mouth, and may I preach faithfully today as a dying man to dying people. God, may we be a doer. May we receive it, believe it. May it transform us and move us to that cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. Standing on the promises this morning, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, he tells us of all of the things that are going on In the Roman culture, the rejected nature that they have of God, that they would worship the creature rather than the Creator. And yet it is also Him to that culture who says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it is the power of of God unto those who are being saved. In other words, as Paul would step in to a culture that had rejected God, that had turned away from God, Paul's message was that we don't need to be compromised and that we need to be more like the world, but that we need to rely on the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that? What is the power in the gospel? Well, it is the reality... That number one, it is the good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel in and of itself, the most simplest definition is good news. Well, why is it good news? Well, if we unpack that and we examine that, we understand that the gospel is good news because we all are born with a problem. And our problem is that there is nothing we can do, how cute, how sweet... No matter how much good we could possibly do, there is no way we can merit heaven. We cannot work our way into heaven. We cannot be voted into heaven based upon how how much you've done good for humanity. Now listen, God's people ought to be good people. We ought to be invested in our community and our culture in changing it for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, Paul would just argue that's our reasonable service, our reasonable expectation... As God-fearing people, we want to see a world transformed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because of this gospel message. Now, understand something. That just a few people, just a few people sowed seeds into the entire known world at that time. And it transformed and totally broke and and defeated the Roman Empire, Empire and their culture as we know it. It totally overtook it. Not a single shot was fired because they didn't have firearms. Not a single fire was lit by a Christian. Not a single dagger was used. Not a single sword was used to expand the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They relied on the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not compromise it. They did not say to a Roman culture that was steeped in the worship of all kinds of gods to just add Jesus to your shelf of trinkets and idols and worship Him also. No! They did not do that. They made it clear that those gods have eyes that do not see and those gods have hands that cannot do anything. They have feet that cannot run to your problem and meet your need. There is but one... God and His name is Jesus and y'all are familiar with Him you crucified Him, you put Him on a cross we know He came out of the grave my goodness over 500 people saw Him at one time you examine the evidence of history. You come to one single solitary conclusion and that is that Jesus lived in this earth. We know He was crucified. We know events that were taking place at the day of His crucifixion written by secular historians. And we also know that on the third day the tomb was empty. and That for 40 days He walked among the people that knew Him. And He was seen by multitudes. And as he was about to enter into heaven, he preached one final sermon. And he said, I want you to take this message and to take it to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. And he ascended into heaven. And as they were all sitting there like we would and folks in Alabama with their mouth wide open staring into the sky for no apparent reason, angels said, hey, you know, he's going to come back the same way. Okay, in the clouds. Get busy about doing the Lord's work. Get busy about taking this gospel, this good news, to a world that needs to hear. So the good news is that Jesus died and that He rose again. So then the question then to to the average person, why did He have to die? Why did a good man have to die? I mean, y'all talk about the cross and we use it today as if people in the world just naturally understand what it means. Fifty years ago they did because every institution was filled with people that believed like you and I believed. Believe it or not. But we're no longer living in the comfort of that culture anymore. Alex, did you hear what I just said? We're no longer living in the comfort of that culture anymore. We don't have the comfort of believing Front row. You don't have the, com- co- uh, the comfort of believing that the folks that you interact with on a given day believe what you believe. So they're wanting to enforce that, reinforce that, and encourage you to be a God follower. No, we have folks in our culture today that think if you believe in, in God, you're, there's something wrong with you in the head, man. And they'd much rather that we, we just take the world's advice. And that we, that we say things like we're all in this together although we're not all in this together because I don't know where they're going but I know where I'm going because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And if, and if you're in that with me then yeah, we're together but I don't know that what everybody else is saying about that I don't know that their eternal destination is the same as mine. So I'm a little leery of getting into that boat and you ought to be too. See, we come into this world broken. We come to this world with a nature that given the right stimuli can do no telling what. No telling what. You know, we we hearken back oftentimes to the events that unfolded that gave us World War II. And and Germany, uh, uh, just a society that was on the cutting edge of technology at one point in the 30s and that it would just become... A nation that was putting to death millions of people. And I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. Men. Men. People. That have a heart like you and I. Have eyes like you and I. Human beings. Made a decision to put millions of people in a cattle car and turn them into camps, corral them into a room and dump chlorine gas in that room and kill them. There was not some automatic device that opened up the hole in the top of that cement death chamber and dumped that chlorine gas in it. That was a man that did that. A human being that did that. And when they all died, it was human beings who dug mass graves and covered them up. Do not tell me and do not believe that human nature is inherently good because it ain't. Given the right stimuli, given the right nudge, we will do all manner of evil. And that's what the devil loves. To just give you the the nudge to make you go over the cliff. To take our young people and just move them just by little increments into something. Folks, we are people that are depraved and need the Lord. I didn't say you were utterly depraved but that we were totally appraised in that we cannot save ourselves. We are in need of a Savior. The Bible says, I mean, it's either true or it's not. All have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. That's either true or it's not. And if you do not believe that that's true, then it makes no point in your life to believe in Jesus. I mean, it really doesn't. Because if you don't believe that's true, then you don't need a Savior. There's no point in you going to the next things. See, the gospel is the good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is this central act of God because Hebrews reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there's no rolling away, there's no turning away of sin. This has always been the case. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, real people sinned, it was God who clothed them with the tunics of animals. He got the tunics by making a blood sacrifice of those animals. And that is why later in Genesis, when Cain and Abel show up to make an offering to the Lord, Cain does not bring a lamb. He knows he should bring a lamb. He chooses not to bring a lamb. Well, why did Abel bring a lamb? Why did he know to bring a lamb? Because ever since Adam and Eve got got new clothes, through the act of the shedding of blood to get those new clothes, That was being taught in the family of Adam that without the shedding of blood there can be no remission of sins. Bible so-called scholars who say that what God did for them was to take the leaves away and just give them better clothes miss the entire point of the Bible. The entire point of the Bible. That common scarlet thread has a beginning and it's in Genesis. It just doesn't show up thousands of years later as the children were about to leave Egypt. He gave us that for Passover. It was a continuation of that because they forgot it. That's why they were there in the first place. We needed a Savior. We needed a substitute. Christ is that substitute. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Something's got to die. Death is going to be carried out. We all die a mortal death because that is the leftover effects of sin. But here was God, fully God, fully man, the good man, the God man, and He came to step in our place. Now why did He have to die? Because the law demanded that He die. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Hey, I did not come here to abolish the law. I didn't come here to get rid of that. I came here willingly knowing that God demanded a sacrifice. Listen, I can imagine for for Andrew and people that practice law that there's nothing more frustrated to an attorney than to walk into a courtroom where there's a man in a robe behind a bench that is supposed to rule on the law. And as you present the law, they rule in a way as to say, I don't really care. This is how I'm feeling today. And yet we expect, we have come to expect God to give me a pass. God's not going to give you a pass. Only through the shed blood of Jesus do we get a path, a a, a pass, and a path to heaven. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I came to be a man who would know no sin and yet would go to the cross for your sin And for my sin That's good news He died for my sin But the news is even better than that Because see on the third day Christ came out of the grave He overcome death And that's why the gospel is good news Because of the death But the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ That gives us victory over this death That we will die even would go on to say that Paul would Paul would talk about the reality of how the, 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 the strength of the law is this death Paul would write in the same chapter, verse 55, O hell, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, He defeated death because He came out of a grave on the third day. And then we saw Him. Paul said, I even saw Him. Paul said, I was one born out of due time. I wasn't looking for him. I was going to persecute the church. But God showed up in Paul's path. Saul at the time. Acts chapter 9 showed up and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul became Paul. And in his own words, he said, I labored the more abundantly." Paul said, I'm least the apostle. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. And because of that, I labored more abundantly than they all. Because I realized how many people that I caused to miss heaven. And he carried it with him, the reality that there is a heaven to gain. There is a hell to be shunned. Do we realize that? do we realize that this victory, Jesus said that He came to give us not death, He came to give us abundant life through His personal sacrifice on the cross. Uh, Peter tells us that He Himself bore our sins. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The gospel is the good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's something about this gospel, there's something about this good news, the glorious gospel, it is to be received. It is to be believed. Not just a nod, but it is to be received. He says, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive. In the context of a church who's struggling with living out their Christian faith. And you know what Paul's simply saying? He said, Hey, you made a profession of faith. You said you had died to sin and you've been, uh, uh, new life has come through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Man, just live like it. Live like it. The reality that I came to the cross, I've been forgiven of my sin. He says, Now live like you have received that word. For I am the least of the apostles in verse 9 who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See, Paul said there was a time when I rejected what God had to offer. There was a time that I run from that. There was a time that I was against that. But Christ came to me, the gospel come to me. And Paul said, I received it and there is power and there is joy and there is forgiveness and there is eternity riding on that decision to receive, to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is, how is it that one receives this gospel that Paul preaches? Well, in Romans chapter 10... Paul says in no uncertain terms here. I mean, he lays it out for us to understand how it is that we receive this good news. He says in verse 9 of Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is is made unto salvation. That's why it is important that you acknowledge that you are a sinner. And it's not so... I mean, the younger you are in life, hopefully the less mess of your life you've made. The older we are before we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we got a lot of mess a lot of times that we have to acknowledge and deal with. But the reality is we must acknowledge that we are sinners. And that must break our heart. We can't just be so flippant about it. I just want to say the sinner's prayer. Why? Are you a sinner? Do you believe that? Does it break your heart over sin in your life? There must be brokenness. There must be contrition. There must be confession and acknowledgement. Or verse 11 is not true. Verse 11 says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame the gospel is to be received and when we receive the son we receive eternal life according to John chapter 1 verse 12 and finally Paul said of this gospel he said I have preached it to you you've received it and he said in verse 1 in which you stand on it folks the gospel is what we stand on today. We stand on the power of the gospel. The unchanging power of the gospel. The gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel is the hope for the lost. In a world that is confused, it is the simplicity of the gospel that cuts through all of that and reminds us this is which, that which we stand on. It is the gospel that opposes the forces of evil and it is the gospel that changes our eternal destination. That's why I asked this morning, what do you believe? Why are you here? If Jesus did not die on a cross and be buried in a tomb and raised on the third day, If if that is not true, then we have no hope. We're no different than anybody else. That's why the Bible makes, in so many ways, that's why the Bible makes the case for the fact that He came out of the grave. People saw Him for 40 days. 500 people at one time. And Paul reminds us, just this little note, that most of these folks are still alive today. So go ask them. Through history, there's a a Fox's Book of Martyrs because people were willing to go to a death for this truth of the gospel. Polycarp, one of the early uh, disciples of John himself, burned alive. Why? Because they would not acknowledge that some Caesar was king and that there was only one king. There was only one Lord that would be worshipped, and that was Jesus. I mean, you want to talk about obeying governments and things of that nature and how the Bible says you just ought to do whatever the folks up there tell you to do. Well, I want to tell you something. That, that's not true because I'm not going to do anything that tells me to deny my faith and go against the clear teachings of Scripture. And Paul didn't do that either. That's why he lost his head. He was fine with paying tribute to Caesar. He was fine with paying the taxes that built the roads in Rome so that he could go wherever he wanted to go and preach the gospel. But when Nero said, you must worship me as God, Paul said, "Nope, I can't do that. And it cost him his head. It cost him his life. And there have been millions through history that have paid that same price for this gospel and yet it is today the high-mindedness of the people like you know David French and these other folks out here in these religious think tanks that think they know better than God to say that Paul's not relevant anymore. let me tell you the people who would say Paul is not relevant anymore they're not relevant that's the folks that ain't relevant. The people would say the the Word of God is outdated. It doesn't doesn't matter anymore. Those are the folks that are not relevant anymore. All of our feel-good teaching, all of our feel-good preaching, all of our fancy bromides that we have today, it does nothing to solve this problem with man. But Jesus did. I'm reminded of Luke 16 the Bible tells us of two people that lived very different lives one was rich he had the best food on the table the finest clothes a nice place to live and every day as that man made his way into his home he passed someone at his driveway that was a beggar and he had nothing And that man didn't eat unless somebody had mercy on him. Maybe he was crippled, who knows. But the Bible tells us that one fared very sumptuously and the other was full of sores and laid at his gate. Reality, in that world, people that could not take care of you, they would hope that by laying you at the gate, of someone who was wealthy, the fact that they had to walk by you every day, it would leave them probably with a little guiltiness, uh, feeling and shame in their conscience to offer some food to you. Maybe if it was storming out there, they might even let you uh, you know, come sit on the porch or something. Get out of the elements. It's going to be cold. They'd throw you a blanket maybe. Because they just didn't have anything. We're talking about a a poor, sick world living under the oppression of the Romans. But this is what the Lord said about these men. Both of these men died. A reality, a matter of fact of life that death will consume everyone at some point. And Bible says that there was one that was carried on the wings of angels into the presence of God and one went to hell and was tormented. And that man that was in hell being tormented could see that beggar sitting in the bosom of Abraham, heaven, and said, God, would you you send people back to tell my family they don't want to be where I'm at today? And it's interesting, the reply. Because... Abraham said to him, They have Moses, they have the prophets, let them hear them. And the man said, Oh no. If one would come back to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Do you know what he's talking about? He's talking about that well before the New Testament was written, Isaiah wrote, about Messiah and that there would be one who would come who would take away the sin and the guilt of the world everything Moses taught was just a picture that one day it would be fulfilled in Messiah and he says if you don't believe what the Old Testament scriptures say about heaven and the need for a Messiah for Savior You won't believe it as if one came out of the grave. Guess who he's talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. That's why I'm asking this morning why are we here? What do you believe? How do we view this book of books? Is it true? Because if we look into Luke 16, we come to a, a real serious conclusion. I made a calculation as a 12-year-old in the 7th grade. Matt Wilson Middle School, when I started parting my hair in the middle, I remember it very clearly. Actually, I wasn't quite in the 7th grade yet. It would officially not start for a few months. But you know how we always round up. You know what I'm saying? We do that, right? Right? Vacation Bible School, what grade did you complete determines what grade you're going to be in or where you're going to be at in Vacation Bible School. So I was, I was already in the 7th grade, even though technically I was not in the 7th grade. But I was parting my hair in the middle at that time because I was looking forward to it. No more bowl cuts by Earl Ellis anymore. Oh, no. No, 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 no. The, the chicks were not into that, okay? But I looked good with my full head of dark hair parted in the middle. I even let it get longer as I got older and it had that fluffy stuff in the background going on. It was a precursor for the mullet, but, you know, it was cool back then. Ladon remembers those days, but those days have gone. Those days are gone. And, And unlike Jesus, it ain't coming back. Yeah. Thank you. It's a good way to look at it. Optimism. It's a way of life, isn't it? Now, but I want to tell you, I made a calculation as a 12-year-old on my way to 7th grade that hell was real and I did not want to go there. My best friend at that time, was a, his dad was a pastor. And I want to tell you, when Thomas Bundrick stepped in a pulpit, I knew one thing as a 12-year-old. That man believed what he preached. And it made an impact on me. So that on a Sunday night when we had altar call, and I went to the altar to just do what I always did, when that man got on his knee beside me and he whispered in my ear this question, Are you saved? I began to weep bitterly because I knew that I was not. My life that night changed because I realized that there was a heaven and that there was a hell. And the only way that I was going to go to heaven is that if I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I didn't have the fanciest of words. I didn't know all of that. He just asked me, did you want to be saved? And I said, yes. Do you believe you're a sinner? Absolutely. And through the tears and through... The, the, the wrenching of my heart with the confession of my mouth, I asked Jesus Christ to save my soul and I have never been the same. Have I always been perfect? No. Have I wasted time? Yes. Have I wasted my gift? Yes. But Christ would never stop as His child reminding me of His love for me convicting me of my sin and not letting me be happy in my folly see I use that word folly because I'm not talking about being foolish because you're dumb intellectually but that you're being dumb because you know better I was being dumb because I knew better but God never gave up on me God never stopped loving me but I want to tell you something There is a gospel that is to be preached and there is a gospel to be received. Have you received that gospel? In church, there is a gospel to stand in. I'm not here to offer you amenities. I mean, if you're a kid and you come to Liberty, man, you have a a good time, or at least that's what they're telling me because I asked that question. They like things. They enjoy good times together. And we do that because we love them. But at the end of the day, if all of the amenities and all of these things, if, if that becomes the main thing, and we're standing in our ability to do that, <coughs> excuse me, we're missing the point. All I have to offer you is the gospel. All I have to offer you is that there is a man named Jesus who loved you, who died for you, so you wouldn't have to die as this man in Luke 16 did and perish in hell forever. You don't believe there's a hell? Then go rip chapter 16 of Luke out of your Bible because I'm going to tell you, that guy believes it. That guy believes it. And it's either true or it's not. And if, if, you, don't, if you don't believe it's true, you don't need me. I'm never going to convince you. I'm trusting God to do that. Have you received this gospel? Are we going to stand in that gospel? Unwavering, uncompromising. It is the message for a lost and dying world. It is a message that saves and transforms the lives of sinners who I can say, thank you, God, that you have transformed mine. Let's pray tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We need you. God, help us to not play games and check boxes and go through the motions, Lord. Always saved. Sincerely, do we know you. I pray you have your way in every heart. I ask in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand our feet today.